Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24 7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on demand support to help do that. Each week, On this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to this webinar uh, hosted by us, the folks at Latchel. Um, Thanks for joining. This is a live session. uh, So you can, as you have questions, as we go through this webinar, you can comment them in the comment box. Um, I'm Ethan, the CEO of Latchel. I'm going to be kind of moderating this and running us through the slides and and teaching this webinar. We also have Katrina, who's uh, kind of going to be my right hand here, uh, helping to moderate. Um, I can't actually see questions as you guys post them. So she might interject as we're going through this to ask these questions for you. Um, I can hear Katrina in my ear here. Um, so she'll kind of help moderate as we're going through. So what are we going to focus on today? We're going to focus on the Amazon approach to service culture. Um, We're going to be digging into your operation, uh, the services you tell folks you offer, the expectations you set for folks. And we're going to talk about how you can design your entire business and services for positive customer experience. Now, before I jump in, I want to explain why at Latchel, we hinge so much on Amazon's approach. We, we do it for building our business. We recommend this whenever we work with a property manager that they adopt these same principles. The reason we use Amazon as sort of a goalpost for ourselves, both my co-founder, he's our COO, and our operations director, uh, so that's Will Gordon, who's our COO. Our operations director is Jennifer Pascone. They both come from Amazon on the operations and service side of the business. Um, They come from different parts. Jennifer actually worked on the entire warehousing, on-demand services, call centers, and customer service side at Amazon, while Will worked on the logistical side of Amazon. Um, He actually was very much a part of building Prime Delivery today, uh, and then interacted with the two-hour delivery uh, platform. So did Jennifer Pascone. And I think if you talked to either of them, the first thing they would tell you about how we actually started Latchel, which started on the foundation of uh, maintenance operations for property management, they would tell you that the overlap between Amazon logistics and how they do uh, delivery and fulfill on delivery is very much parallel and overlaps with how property managers uh, should be setting up maintenance processes. Both of these are logistics-focused operations. There are checkpoints in these processes that have to be monitored to achieve the best customer experience. So that's sort of a a high-level foundation on why we associate to Amazon so much. 
Now, before we just dive in, I want to kind of work like the mind muscles here, uh, uh, loosen ourselves up a bit. Uh, we use a mantra here at Lachal for this. We say you can't get better by staying the same. The whole idea behind continuous improvement is let's diverge from where we are to something that's more productive, a, a more positive customer experience, a more efficient process, a more trackable process by staying the same. Can't get better. Can't get better by staying the same. All right. So digest that. We're going to be talking about things that may be new to you, you may have not heard of. So I want you to kind of open up your mind and think, okay, I'm going to take in some new ideas here and then apply them to your current business. And we'll see, you know, uh, the different ways you can improve your business by using some of the concepts we'll talk about. So let's come back to Amazon. And I want to start uh, with the importance of company principles. Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos built about 14 leadership principles that Amazon was built off of. These principles are what they use to hire people. And these principles are also what they use when they think about how to design a customer experience and the services and products they offer. Uh, Latchell, we effectively ripped off Amazon's leadership principles. Obviously, you know, founding team comes from there, resonated highly. Um, we modified them a little bit. We got rid of the ones we didn't think were going to be most effective for Latchell services. Latchell as a company, we added in a couple that we felt were missing from Amazon's principles. But the, the core of it was built off what Amazon built. And there are two fundamental ones that we constantly reiterate as a company. And they're the same ones that I believe any company should have as a focus to build something great that competitors can't keep up with. One is customer obsession, which effectively means you're always keeping in mind the interests of your customers. And as a property manager, we're going to have a, a couple customers we need to work with, right? One might be property owners if you're doing third party, you know, if you're a fee manager. Even if you own and operate, you still have customers, though. Your customers are also the residents renting the units that you have to serve. And sometimes it's also going to be the vendors you work with that fulfill on maintenance. Now, I mean, you might also be working with vendors for other things, like maybe you work with a company that helps you with bookkeeping. And in some ways, these are your customers too. You need to be obsessed about giving them what they need to help you best they can. So customer obsession is, is kind of paramount to this entire conversation. That's going to be a big focus. And the next big focus is going to be continuous improvement. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about something called an SLA, which stands for Service Level Agreement in this presentation. SLAs allow you to actually measure and track performance of your service. Continuous improvement is about constantly iterating on these things to get better and better and better. Uh, to a certain extent, that, that iterative process gets pulled a lot from uh, tech companies who have this kind of iterative process in building technology. But even if you're not a technology company, you can use this process of iteration and continuous improvement so no one can keep up, up with you. Um, a lot of those principles, and even on the tech side, were actually pulled originally from Toyota, um, who built uh, lean manufacturing principles. And we use a lot of those principles at Lateral in designing maintenance processes. Amazon uses them for their supply chain management. Um, you may be familiar with things like Six Sigma. All of that gets wrapped up in continuous improvement. And when you combine these two things, your company can basically become this unstoppable force that none of your competitors will be able to keep up with.
Okay. So I'm going to come back to Amazon again. Of course, this is the Amazon approach to building service culture. Uh, especially these days, you look at Amazon stock, it's like, wow, who would have imagined this little company that sold books online could become the largest market cap company like ever growing? I think they grew like, what, 40%? The, like the valuation of the company just in the last, since January. So insane stuff that Amazon has done. And what they start with is focusing on the things that don't change. And I'm going to go to a, a quote from Jeff Bezos in a little bit. But fundamentally, it starts with, okay, what do customers want? So I want to take, take a sec here. I want you to reflect. If you haven't downloaded the worksheet from the Crowdcast, there's a button at the bottom. You can click that and download a worksheet. Um, so this is meant to be a little bit interactive. If you're listening to this after we've published, you can still download that sheet by clicking the button. Um, if you don't have that sheet, I'm going to read off the question I want you to think about. So I want you to think of a time you had a great customer experience with Amazon. Think about what made it memorable. So take maybe 30, 30 seconds here. You might already have an idea off the top of your head of a, an experience. Now, if you're willing to share, go ahead and chat it in the box. And Katrina's going to go ahead and read some of these off. I'll share one of mine that I think is outstanding that Amazon does. Uh, we have a lobby in the building I live, and most of the time packages are left in that lobby. Now, we had a seller, we bought, uh, me and my fiance bought a product. The tracking code said it had shipped and it was left in the mailbox. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't actually left in the mailbox. We don't know if the, the uh, postman put it in a different unit or maybe put it in a different building, maybe our neighbor. So we call Amazon. We say, hey, tracking code said it was shipped, put in the mailbox, wasn't there. Within 24 hours, we had a refund. And it was, it was a piece of cake. It was like one of the most delightful experiences of having to do a refund with them. We were afraid that, well, the tracking code shows it got delivered. Does that mean they're not going to refund us? No questions asked. They refunded us. That was, that was a powerful one for me. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on. So Amazon, when we think about the things that don't change, Jeff Bezos has a great quote where he talks about this. He, he kind of says, you know, I get the question a lot of, What's going to be the thing that, that changes in the next 10 years? What's the next most important thing that, that Amazon's going to have to focus on? And his response is, well, actually, the thing that's more important is what doesn't change. And we build services. We build products. We build our company around what we know will not change. And so for them, they have three things that they know will never change about what their customers want. Customers are always going to want low prices. They're always going to want fast delivery. They will always want fast selection. You're never going to have someone that says, well, shoot, I just wish Amazon cost more. You're never going to have someone say, well, you know what? Amazon just delivers too fast. I'd like it to take longer to get my product. So everything they look at building uh, is around these three core things. And they know that won't change about their customer's behavior. They don't want to bet on the unknown. They want to bet on the most important things that will never change. And that's how you can build the best processes for yourself, the best services for yourself. And that's also how you're going to set 
the best service level agreements. Okay, so let's think about your customers. Now, if you're an owner operator, you won't be uh, working with property investors. You, you won't have property owners as, as customers. So just think of your residents, your tenants, uh, if you're third party property management. I want you to think about your property investors too. And let's take a minute. I want, I'm gonna ask you two more questions to think about. What are the three things that property investors or your property owners will always want from your services? Three things that you know they will always want. And then what are three things that you know tenants will always want from your services? So I'm gonna give you like a little bit longer here. Let's take 60 seconds. Now feel free to post these in the chat if you're watching live and we can talk about them. Not a requirement if you're live, but if you're comfortable sharing, please do. Okay. So you may have written things like, uh, let's take property, property investors first. You may have written things like they want on time, uh, monthly statements, the big one, they want rent payment on time, right? That's my job to get the rent paid on time to them. You may have said to increase the asset value or to ensure a high net operating income on the home. You may have dug a little bit deeper and said, well, actually, they really care about how responsive I am. That's never going to change. They always want a response from me as fast as possible. You may have said, you know, they want direct access to me. They don't want to feel like they're being blocked by, you know, my assistant. They want to feel like they can talk to me. They want to feel like I care about them. And you may have had some similar things on the tenant side. They want me to respond as fast as possible for maintenance issues. They want to feel like I care about them. That's never going to change. Now, you may have also said things like, well, they also want like really cheap rent, right? Now, some of these things uh, aren't necessarily always going to be achievable or possible. But what you do know the th things that will never change, they want to feel cared about. They want you to be responsive. They may even want you to be transparent. And that's probably shared across your property owners too. Okay. So you can think about these things too afterward. Um, you'll probably come up with a big list. Try and bring it down to the three biggest ones that you think are the most important though. So for Latchel, um, when I think about our customers, what I know is that the property managers we work with and the residents that we'll be coordinating maintenance for, they want a service that's always caring, right? They want to know we actually care about their needs. We're not just a rote system ticking items off a checklist. We actually care about them. We know that on the maintenance side, they always want it to be uh, scheduled and coordinated as conveniently as possible. They don't want to have to do a ton of work just to you know make sure a provider gets scheduled for them. 
And that's actually the same for the tenant who doesn't want to have to do all that work to, to get their maintenance fixed. But it's also the same for the property managers we work with, because we have a promise to the property managers we work with that will coordinate the bulk of that maintenance. They want that to be done as conveniently as possible. They also want it to be as transparent as possible so they don't lose control. And transparency is fundamentally a part of control. You cannot control a process that you don't have insight into. So transparency will always be one of the most important things. Of course, we know for everyone, affordability is important. When you think about your property owners, maybe affordability came up in that top three. They really care how affordable my services are. Or maybe you tied that up to the net operating income of the property. They're kind of linked together, right? At Latchell, we know that the property managers we serve, our services need to be affordable to them so they can maintain healthy margin. And in fact, we want to help our customers have healthier margin than any of their competitors. So these things will not change. So now that we know what can't, what uh, will never change on what our customers want, we can start building services, SLAs, good processes. You can't build a process to things that are changing, right? Because then your process will have to change all the time. Now, that doesn't mean you won't iterate your process, but what you want to start is with the base of things you know won't change. Okay, so let's talk about property investors. Let's talk about tenants. Uh, let's look at the data and let's come up with you know solutions off, off the data. So what do we know about property investors? Well, let's take maintenance. What we know is that 62% of property owners choose a property manager because they don't want to have to deal with maintenance. That's the number one reason, right? <laughs> So now you have a good idea on how can you, you know, position your marketing, but also how do you position your services to show that that's what you care about because you know that's what they care about, right? How can you get that off their plate and not get them involved every day having to deal with this? The second biggest reason they go to property managers is to find quality tenants. You already know this, property investors, property owners, they are terrible at screening tenants. It's all about like, oh, I want to you know, shake someone's hand and I'll see how I feel about them and that's how I make my choice. And you know, that's a terrible way to do it. The whole reason you have screening is to get your emotional side out of it and look at the actual facts on who they are. Are they going to be a good tenant? Can we put them in that property? Right? And you can actually set service level expectations around that. You can say, hey, here are our requirements to put a tenant into that home, right? And now you're, you're already doing a service to your property owners with that stringent criteria. You're earning their trust and you're setting that service level agreement. We will never put someone in your home that doesn't match this criteria. Okay. Uh, next, let's talk about tenants. Um, you know, this might be obvious to you, but we're going to come back to this quite often through this presentation. 72% of tenants say the most important thing is that their property manager gets a hold of them quickly and responds quickly. Now, when you think about actually your business and how involved you are and your team is, you're probably immediately like, that is incredibly difficult. How are we supposed to be immediately responsive to all our resident needs when we have a hundred other things to do? We have to work on unit turns. We're having to work with our service providers as well to get like budget approvals and, and things like that. We're getting questions from property owners. We need to get statements out. 
how on top of all of that are we supposed to have rapid response times to tenants? But the unfortunate truth is that when you actually go online and look at uh, negative reviews for different management companies, if you look at your own management company, you'll probably see this too. The bad reviews, probably about 72% of them will be about poor response times. And the second, of course, is that human touch. Uh, everyone wants to feel cared for. Everyone wants to feel like they're special. Um, when we talk about customer service, that's kind of the core of it. Where can you provide that human touch to really make people feel like you care about them? How can you stand out as someone that cares that they want to leave a positive review for? Okay. So uh, the, the flip side of this coin is we look at, well, why do tenants, why do property owners leave our services? And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you kind of a, a stat next. But before I jump to that, we got another question. Um, let me read it off. So if you're if you don't have the worksheet in front of you, just kind of listen to the question. What are the three big reasons that tenants leave your services? What are the three big reasons you think owners leave your services? Now these might be the same, might be different. So take a take a minute here, write down what you think. And if you're not writing it down, just think about it. Just come up with a couple ideas in your head. Okay. It might surprise you, but 74% will leave due to what they call poor service. Now, maybe this actually doesn't surprise you for property owners, but it surprised me when I saw this for your residents and your tenants. Typically, we think when a resident leaves a unit, that's probably because there's a life change or an income change or they're relocating for work. How many of you, though, actually survey tenants? when they leave. You might be surprised by the result. This comes from Bill Diem's State of the Industry Report for 2020. 74% actually left because of what they said was poor service. Had nothing to do with life change, had nothing to do with income change, all due to poor service. And that poor service comes from those two things you just saw, responsiveness and feeling cared for. So when we're looking at what do our customers want, a lot of this comes down to responsiveness and creating a feeling that people are cared for. So the service level agreements you set need to reflect that. The processes you build need to reflect that. And we're going to dig into these. So let's, let's uh, segue to Amazon. And let's look at how Amazon manages service. Um, and we're going to try and apply it to uh, the different processes you need to manage for, uh, as a property manager. Okay, so Amazon manages with things called SLAs. I mentioned this before, it's, it stands for a service level agreement. So what is a service level agreement? Well, let's break it down. Service, pretty self-explanatory. It's the work or good or, or service you provide, right? What are you actually doing for your customer? That's the service. The level is the degree to which you provide that. Now you can, uh, when you think about the level, it could be a quality it could be based on a time frame that that service is supposed to be done. It could be the availability or openness, right, for, for when you can provide that service. So there's a lot of, like, different ways to, to measure what it is, but that's what the level implies. And then the agreement, pretty self-explanatory again, the agreement is your commitment to them. It's you making the promise to get that thing done 
to get that service done to that level. Okay. In order to have an SLA, the level kind of implies this. It has to be measurable. You need to have a number or some kind of metric that someone can look at and say, great, now I know what the expectation is going to be on this service. So it's that metric that defines whether or not you're actually delivering the service that you promise. This is important for two reasons. It's important to set expectations, right? The expectation setting with your customer, whether it's a property owner or a tenant. But it's also important because you need to be able to track how you measure up to your SLA. And it can be an iterative process. Maybe you shoot too low and you say, great, we can be more aggressive. Or maybe you go too high, you're missing that SLA. And you need to say, okay, wow, we need to like take a step back. We're actually not able to fulfill the service we want. What do we need to do to change our process to get there? You definitely don't want to market that SLA though, because um, we'll get to it in a bit. You're creating risk there. So as an example, 60 second hold times for tenant calls. That's a strong SLA. You've set the level. You know what that service is. It's one you're going to pick up. You're agreeing to pick up within 60 seconds when a tenant calls. Now, this is Latchell's SLA because we need to be very responsive to the tenant needs 24-7, 365. When you're, when you're building this out 60 seconds, that might not be realistic for you. So you need to be realistic. Otherwise, you're going to miss this, right? Okay, so why, why, why use SLAs? I mean, why not just say, hey, you know, we have this general idea of what we want our service to be, and that's how we're going to market. There's like a couple of reasons why not. The first is that at minimum, your commitment or the lack thereof, if you're too generic, it's creating a reputational risk. If you're too generic, you're going to let your customer decide what the appropriate metric should be. So if you don't actually tell tenants, hey, we pick up the phone within five minutes when you call. If you don't tell them that, if I'm a tenant calling you, then my expectation is going to be you just pick up right away because that's what I want. So if you're not setting that expectation, you've already created a reputational risk. And now if you don't pick up immediately, now I can go leave you a one-star review because you take forever to pick up your phone. doesn't matter if, you, if what you think is realistic. If you don't set the expectation, I'm going to set it for myself and I'm going to determine what your SLA should have been, right? And then, of course, when you actually do make the commitment, you want it to be realistic because if you tell me, hey, uh, we'll pick up the phone within five minutes, and it actually took you 10 minutes. I'm like, well, they said five minutes. Might take 10 minutes. What a waste of my time. Let me go leave a one star review. Uh, <laughs> right, you get reviews like this, and I'm sure you've seen these hundreds of times. Hopefully, this gives you a little bit of insight into why sometimes this will happen. Now, that's not to say you might come up with a bad SLA that's just totally under aggressive and underperformant. That's not going to negate a bad review. So if you have an SLA that says, hey, we pick up the phone within an hour, well, your tenants are like, okay, great. So I can expect the service to be terrible. You know, there's another reason to leave a bad review. So it's this line you need to walk. It's a balancing act, right? But people expect more. And um, maybe we can blame Jeff Bezos and Amazon for this. Um, they're, they're almost so good that they've changed America's expectation on what service should be. Um, if I can get a package delivered in two hours, well, hell, why can't my property manager pick up the phone within a couple minutes? And that might be kind of an insane expectation for people to have, 
but it's the expectation they will have. So unfortunately, we need to work around that. We need to build processes around that. Okay, so I want to I want to share another example. There's an opportunity though that gets created from that expectation. It's easy to look at it and say, "Oh man, tenants are so unrealistic. These property owners, they're so unrealistic. What can I do?" And you can go on living that way and live with it, but remember, you can't get better by staying the same. So let's tweak tweak that perspective a little bit. Let's instead say that expectation for more opens up a lot of opportunity, especially when we realize that people are willing to pay more when they feel like they're going to get more. So let's take Starbucks versus McDonald's, both sell coffee. My question for you is, uh, who, who do you think has better coffee? I don't need to give you probably more than like three seconds to have answered that in your head. I think usually 90% of folks, when I give this uh, little seminar in a room, 90% raise their hand when I say, raise your hand for Starbucks. And then a couple people are like, oh, McDonald's. Yeah, because I like to be contrarian. McDonald's has better coffee. But the crazy thing is in blind taste tests, 90% of people say McDonald's is better. So what the hell is going on here? How can 90% of people raise their hand that Starbucks is better, but if you do a blind taste test, it's the opposite. 90% will say McDonald's is better. So we have a, we have a question here, and I, I may have kind of skipped ahead, but I want to give you a chance to um, answer this before I move on. I want you to think about what are some of the services that you're willing to pay extra for? Maybe it's Starbucks. You go to Starbucks instead of McDonald's. They both sell coffee. Why do you choose Starbucks over McDonald's? Uh, Why do you think Starbucks was better, right? If that's what popped up into your head, maybe you pay for Amazon Prime to get a uh, two-day delivery. Um, maybe pay for OnStar or VIP lines, maybe the VIP Disney Pass. Think about the things you, you pay extra for because ultimately you're probably getting the same products. But if you think about it, the experience is going to be totally different, right? And that's what Starbucks has built. They built a coffee that tastes worse, but they can charge two bucks more. That white cup with the green lady, right? Um, and why? How, how did they do that? Why do people go to Starbucks for coffee when it costs more but tastes worse? At least according to blind taste tests. Well, it's because it's not just about the flavor. The mind is a crazy thing. I can taste two different coffees. Maybe they're identical, but one will taste better simply because of the experience that led up to me taking that first sip. So Starbucks hones in on the experience. They hone in on the buying experience. You walk into a Starbucks, it feels like that neighborhood cafe. It's that third place, right? They have like the nice like jazz music playing. It's, it's the same every time you walk in. You know, the smell of espresso and coffee. It's consistent. And that creates a personal reward that comes from the brand. You know, in a way, it like feels better even just holding a Starbucks cup than holding a McDonald's cup. Why is that? What's the whole experience behind it? There's like a personal reward you get when you drink Starbucks versus McDonald's. So experience matters. And when Amazon builds uh, their services, uh, whether it's for delivery or the refund process, 
what they're thinking about is the experience the customer goes through because they know that's much more important to building happy customers and positive reviews than the end product. In fact, a lot of the stuff I've bought from Amazon like breaks within a couple years, but I'm not blaming Amazon. I'm blaming the seller of that product. And then I'm going back to Amazon and just buying it again from a different seller, even though it's likely to break in another two years, right? As, as people purchasing things, the experience matters a whole lot more oftentimes than the end product. It doesn't matter who you are when you coordinate maintenance. In the end, that toilet's getting fixed, right? But that's not what your tenants care about. Your tenants care about the experience behind that maintenance thing getting fixed. And it's the same thing with your property owners. So when we look at Amazon, why did they even bother promising two-day delivery? Well, first off, they knew uh, people want faster delivery, right? And then they promised two-hour delivery. Okay, we want to make it even faster. Speed of delivery is going to be their, their core advantage here. It's what's going to keep them light years ahead of any other company trying to compete. So... Um, I'm going to segue here. I want to actually pull slides. I, I've popped them in here from a different slideshow that actually the leadership team at Latchell built when they were at Amazon for highlighting kind of that Amazon uh, process for building their SLAs and building the service. Uh, all starts with uh, working backwards from the customer. So I'm going to give it, uh, Amazon as an example. You can then take this and replicate it as you think about, all right, how do I want to set up the experience for my Tenants, how do I want to set the experience for my owners? So Amazon knew delivery was the most important thing for happy customers uh, on that first interaction. The faster they could get the product, the bigger the smile on their face. So again, Will Gordon, Jennifer Pascone from the Latchell team, uh, we're building out these delivery networks. And so a lot of this is going to be pulled from them. So uh, what they did they started by saying, okay, how far can we deliver? And by the way, they started with Manhattan, which is why you see the uh, map of Manhattan here. First thing they said is, okay, we want to deliver within two hours. So how far can we deliver? Like who can we offer this to delivering from that, that main uh, warehouse hub in Manhattan? So we get this map on the circle. This is just their concierge just doing the delivery, right? And then they start saying, okay, what else can we add in to expand this out? Can we serve more folks than the ones in this red circle? What if we delivered through subways? So then they went ahead, they added the map for subway delivery and what was going to be feasible and achievable for a two-hour delivery timeline. Okay, and bikes. And then they added cars. And so now on first sight, that's like, wow, that's a pretty wide area that Amazon can achieve two-hour delivery in. But that might not actually be realistic because so far all we've accounted for is how long will it take us to get to these different points using these different transportation methods. But that's not everything. And if that's all they built this on, they'd have a lot of angry customers because there's other factors to consider. And so this is where you start thinking, okay, well, what else is involved in these processes that could hinder me achieving that SLA? So for Amazon, they're going for that two-hour uh, delivery SLA couple things they had to think about. Well, it takes time to pick the items the customer ordered. It takes even more time to pack those items that the customer ordered. So now we see these areas shrinking. Now we have to assign them and distribute them to couriers. It shrinks even more. That takes time. 
And then you might decide, hey, some areas are just going to be too risky. We're not going to hit the SLA enough. And so Amazon, uh, for a lot of what they do, use percentiles to measure this. Uh, so if they take a 90th percentile, basically they're saying, hey, we want to hit this at least 90% of the time if we're going to move forward. Uh, in some cases, they might use a 95th or 99th percentile. At Latchel, we use 99th percentiles for responsiveness metrics, meaning 99% of the time we want to hit the SLA. It's okay if 1% of the time it goes above. So I, I would just want back a slide. If they started with this, they may have been able to hit this 50% of the time, but they don't want 50% of the customers being mad, right? They want closer to like maybe 5% having an issue. Maybe they're okay with 10% having an issue when they first launch and maybe they slap a label on it that says beta. And that means, okay, we're going to mess up 10% of the time. You acknowledge that because we have a beta symbol on, on this product. And you could do similar things like this too. But ultimately, you want the highest level of service possible. So you eliminate the risks. So this is where Amazon actually started with two-hour delivery in, Amazon, in uh, Manhattan. So you, you want to do the same things for how you build out your SLAs and processes. Again, though, it all started with that one customer promise, that SLA, two hours, you're going to have your product. All right, so I want to uh, kind of loosen up our minds again and start thinking about what outcomes would your tenants pay extra to get? So the current tenants, those units you're managing, we're going to only look at the tenant experience here, that resident experience. What would they pay extra for to get? And so I think that's actually the, the question we wrote. Yeah, so the, that question is, what outcomes would tenants pay extra to get we have a couple sub-items here for you to think about. Maybe the feeling that you cater to them more, the feeling that you care about them. So what can you do to kind of evoke those feelings? Let me give you like a minute to just think about this in your head. Okay. Cool. Um, sorry, I turned my mic off for a sec there. All right, so I'm going to take Latchel now as an example. So when we thought about this and we said, how can we enhance that tenant experience and do so in a way that creates opportunity? Because remember, the service expectations create opportunity to generate more revenue for you. And that's the beautiful thing about business. Opportunity is the opportunity for money, right? So at Latchel, we worked backwards from this idea of concierge services. If 74% of tenants are trip because of poor service, and if the majority of bad reviews online are because of poor responsiveness, what would the opposite experience be? That's how we looked at it. The opposite would be concierge service. If I literally had like a personal assistant living in my home catering to me, what would that look like? Now, if we're working backwards, so I'm, I'm specifically talking about Latchel here. This doesn't have to be you. Yours might be different. We worked back from concierge services, and to us, that meant we have a couple promises we should make if we want to deliver concierge-level service. We should be able to coordinate their house chores. right? At Latchel, we already had this robust platform for facilitating with maintenance. We said, how can we use that same platform to go the extra mile, deliver even more, so that the residents get in concierge service. Well, we can coordinate their house chores too. We can coordinate cleaning, furniture assembly, mounting TVs, their laundry, carpet cleaning. 
uh, for, for uh, tenants that were responsible for like lawn service. Let's coordinate that for them too. Uh, if pest control is normally their responsibility, lockouts, things like that, let's do that for them as well. Because why, why shouldn't we? What shows that you care more about that tenant than saying, hey, you know what, we're going to go above and beyond. We'll also get you uh, the things done that are normally your responsibility. Right. So that was the first thing. The second thing was we said the biggest uh, thing that kind of irks tenants is when they get slapped with a bill and we say, oh, this is resident cost damage. Right. It, it sucks as a tenant. But of course, you have to do it. Right. That's how you keep your net operating income of each property high. Like you have to do right by your owner. So we said, okay, tenants know this is going to happen. They have an expectation that there's going to be these common resident damages that they might have to pay for, whether it's like, you know, they flush the wrong thing down the toilet, whether it's they lock themselves out, you know, especially if it's like after hours, they know that's going to be a hefty fee. They know they're responsible for it. They expect these things to happen and it sucks for them just sitting there waiting for it to happen. So what we've said is, hey, part of our concierge services, we're actually going to give you a cash reimbursement that helps you cover these common resident damages, right? That's how we're going to show we care. And then when we talked about uh, the responsiveness, we said, we can't have people sitting on the phone for multiple minutes. Why can't we make a promise to be on the phone with them, no matter what time it is, no matter what day it is, in 60 seconds? That feels like a concierge service. We went uh, during COVID, when COVID hit, we went even a step further and says, now we know that people actually can't even get in the unit to help. Um, and a lot of tenants just weren't reporting issues because they didn't want folks in the unit. So let's do video chat support. Let's actually put an expert on a video call with the tenant. Let's do it so they don't have to download Zoom. Let's just do it through their mobile web browser so they just have to click a link and they're in. And so then we layered that into the concierge service. And then, of course, all of this was built on top of all the SLAs we had already built for service expectation, right? And that's how we worked backwards from concierge services. You can see these things, they're service promises, right? We went through that same process. Is this achievable? Can we do it? How will we do it? What will our processes look like? And in doing this, you know, now we're able to obviously work with property managers we partner with. We'll, we'll talk about that later to help drive more income for them because obviously something of this caliber isn't something that should come free. And first off, it shouldn't come free because tenants want to pay more for this, right? And second, like obviously if you were doing this for free, that's a huge cost for you. Now your margin's crushed. Owners are like, why are you doing all this stuff for my tenant? So instead, tenants can pay. They get this extra service, and they do pay. That's the same example of Starbucks versus McDonald's, right? You want to be the Starbucks experience. You want to be Amazon. Okay. Uh, so back to the SLA piece, I had mentioned all of that promise that we gave around the concierge service. We had to work backwards to build those SLAs. The SLAs create transparency so that when tenants are using these concierge services or maintenance and repairs, they know what to expect. They know how fast it'll be done. They know when we'll pick up and they know how we're going to interact with them. Right. And when you, when you set that up and you achieve it, that's when you get reviews like this, you know, my property manager did exactly what they said they do. That's the happy customer that leaves a five-star review. So there's a few basic rules uh, that you need to take into account when you're actually uh, designing your SLAs An SLA should effectively do four things. It should value the customer's trust in you, right? 
Now you have to earn that trust. And that's part of bringing a property owner in as a customer or bringing a tenant into a property when you lease it. That SLA has to value the trust they've given. It also has to pay attention to timeframes. Now, you might not you might not have all SLAs related to timeframes, but there's a level there. There's a metric. Most often there'll be timeframes around like the service, but sometimes it might be quality related. Sometimes it'll be both. Sometimes it'll be time frame and quality. We've uh, you already get number three here. We've been talking about this over and over. You don't overpromise because then you miss the SLA. You get bad reviews. So don't overpromise. And then of course, part of the SLA has to be about over communicating. You never want to under communicate. Over communicating is going to be more transparent. It's going to give folks more control. Um, actually, one of the uh, you can always back away from over communicating. Latchell has had to do that multiple times. Um, where we might over communicate like appointment times and things like that to prov uh, service providers. And we've sometimes had service providers say, Hey, like you guys uh, remind me way too much about this stuff. And then we we'll scale it back and each person might want different things. So even, even better if you're able to customize that communication per person, like that's what we do at Latchel. That's what you should do if you can, but always better to over communicate and then step back. So let's take an example. Um, Here's like a good way to set it up. Caller comes in and we do this at Latchel. For you, this would be different. Wait times can be up to 60 seconds, right? So we've set up that transparent, uh, we've been transparent. We set up the expectation early. Now 50% of our calls actually are answered in seven seconds or less. So 50% of the time we say, hey, wait times can be up to 60 seconds. And al almost instantly, right? Only seven seconds later, hi, this is the maintenance line, how can I help you? Or if they're on the concierge service, hi, this is your home assistant, how can I help you, right? We wouldn't want to have said wait times can be seven seconds because half the time we wouldn't hit it. So we put the most achievable. We don't overpromise. We did over-communicate. We over-communicated by telling them what the wait time might be, right? And obviously it was time frame bound. We said it's going to be 60 seconds, okay? So you want to set these SLAs up around key checkpoints in your uh, maintenance workflow. And like we're talking a lot about maintenance because that's Latchel's bread and butter um, along with our concierge services, but you, which are they're built on the same platform. But you can apply this to pretty much any process. You can apply it to the owner statements. You can apply it to like rent notifications. You can apply it to anything. But we're, gonna, we're just going to look at maintenance here. Um, and we're going to deep dive the maintenance flow. So there's four primary checkpoints where you have a lot of opportunity to, to build your SLAs. One is around actually getting the request and how fast you respond to it. The other one, which is relevant to your property owners or to internally yourself would be troubleshooting. Like how, how effective are you at actually fixing issues on the phone or via video or de-escalating emergencies? What are your dispatch timelines? So how realistic is it to get someone out, let's say within three days for maintenance request that's not an emergency if it is an emergency can you get them out in two hours right so you have these slas around that checkpoint and then obviously the follow-up and the best best way to track follow-up for your slas is you set the metric you want for the review so when you follow up you can get like an nps score which stands for net promoter score it's basically the likelihood that that person would refer your services or you could do it with like a star rating five star reviews and you have a metric that you want to hit for your average reviews, right? So these are some of the best checkpoints, but let's talk about uh, more specifically. So first response, um, 
how quickly do you acknowledge resident calls or texts? I'm going to give you latchels. You come up with your own. For us, it's 60 seconds. Why is this important? Well, actually, first response time, you already saw it earlier when we talked about the state of the industry report, but it's one of the biggest drivers of positive resident reviews. The faster you pick up, it doesn't matter what happens after that, you're more likely to get a positive review. If you take too long to pick up that phone, doesn't matter what happens after that, you're more likely to get a negative review. So if you're using a call center, you're doing this yourself, think, okay, realistically, what is my wait time? Am I getting people calling and complaining? I had to be on the phone 20 minutes because you might want to change your process if that's the case. Okay, troubleshooting. Now, this is important for uh, your property owners, really, but how many requests are you able to fix over the phone? For us, we target 20%. Because we have videos to troubleshoot, You know, sometimes we're going to be able to be more effective than if you're doing this over the phone. Um, but if you have like a bunch of pre-canned videos, things like that, that can help. The only thing with pre-canned videos for troubleshooting is it gives you a little bit less control working with a tenant and it's less of a personal experience. So sometimes if you're just like texting them like a YouTube video, that can sometimes be interpreted as like, oh, like you didn't care enough to just get on the phone with me. That, that's not always the case. It's just something for you to think about in terms of the service experience you want to deliver, right? Like how concierge do you want your experience to be? And then, of course, de-escalating is important. It's cheaper to send people out during normal business hours than in the middle of the night. So de-escalating an emergency is important for saving money. We target 35%. So what, what's your target? Maybe you target more. Maybe you target less. Uh, but whatever it is, it's important. So you can communicate that to owners and get buy-in from them. Because when they see a number like this, they're like, wow, that's awesome. Like You're obviously really effective working with tenants. That's going to save me money. And we'll talk about this later, but that can be a better way to save the money than saying, oh, I have really, really cheap vendors, right? Or really cheap maintenance rates, which can get you into big trouble. Um, so we already talked about this. Why troubleshoot? Why de-escalate? Well, it's going to drive higher net operating income for property investors. If you own the units, it drives higher net operating income for you. All right, so time to dispatch. This is one of the biggest that uh, residents will say they care about, which is a little bit deceiving. Um, because actually what residents really care about is more like, is it being scheduled and uh, conveniently for me? Um, oftentimes residents will say, don't come this week, come next week. And if it's a normal request, that's cool. Where this is really important and stand out is for emergencies though. Um, so for us, we have a two hour SLA around property damaging emergencies. You probably want something close to that, or maybe at most like four hours. You don't want to go longer than that. Um, for an emergency that's not property damaging, maybe you say 24 hours, and that's generally a good rule of thumb, right? Could be a habitability issue or just like a severe issue for the tenant. Um, for normal requests at Latchel, we say five business days. Oftentimes, it's going to be faster. This one can be a little bit more flex because you might actually have the tenant come back and say, hey, I'm not even available this week. It's not an urgent thing. Let's just schedule it for next week. So you have to be a little bit dynamic too, but generally what you're going to want is like a five-day timeline for normal requests. Uh, going any earlier can cause problems because you might have issues with vendor availability or things like that. Okay. So let's talk about your reviews. This should come in the follow-up process. Um, you need to find out uh, if residents and the property owners you work with would recommend you. And this should be an important metric you're constantly tracking. So for us, we target 4.7 out of five stars. Um, 
when we started Latchel, actually, we were targeting four out of five. But what we saw was our average was 4.7 out of five. And so what we said is we're going to set that as the SLA. 4.7 out of five stars is going to be our SLA, our agreement to our customers, right? The property manager. And that way, we need to be focused on never letting our experience that we deliver be less than that. Now, we can... Like obviously, we want to drive to be even better. We, you know, take that up to four point eight, four point nine. Uh, but we we kind of underpromised, honestly, <laughs> which which is better than overpromising. We underpromised and then had to bring our service level up when we realized how achievable that four point seven would be. Um, so you know, I mean, why get reviews? Obviously, like I don't have to tell you this, but. Uh, Asking your residents, asking your owners is going to be a good indication overall of how they're experiencing and how they feel about your service. Uh, you don't need to make necessarily make these reviews public. Like Latchel, whenever we get anything less than five stars, we just store that on our platform and surface it to our team so we can read through the reviews and figure out where things went wrong. How do we improve even more? How do we go from 4.7 to 4.8 or 4.9? We'll actually only ask the tenant to post a, the review online for our customer if it's five stars, which is good for our customer too, because then they get more five-star reviews pushed to their online profiles. You can do the same. There's a ton of like platforms, not just Latchel, that can do this for you. All right, so let's deep dive like uh, a maintenance process that I see being really common. We're gonna we're gonna kind of speed through this. So yours might not look like this but I've seen so many property managers where this is their process. We receive the request. You might not even acknowledge you've received it from the tenant and the tenants in the dark. A lot of times property managers won't actually set expectations when receiving the request, uh, right? There's no service level set. They'll say, hey, we received your request. You'll hear back from us in you know, 24 hours. A lot of that's not existent. Request comes in, tenant hears nothing. That's like common process I see. Then it gets sent to the vendor. Oftentimes, it's just an email to the vendor. There's no call. There's no text. There's definitely no confirmation back from the vendor. Oftentimes, the next step, you pray. You just pray that the vendor goes out and does the job that was emailed to them. All too often, this is the standard process for a management company. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, yours probably isn't this process. But think about how close your process may be to this one. Then, of course, tenant complains. And that's how you know that the job wasn't done. So your, your prayers went unanswered. Tenant complains. Now you have to get proactive. Your next step is you call the vendor. Maybe the vendor doesn't pick up. Maybe you call them twice and leave a voicemail and they still haven't answered. So your next step in your maintenance process is now to threaten the vendor, right? Hey, we'll never work with you again. Finally, the vendor, you get them to visit. Right. Now, you probably don't have any mechanisms to actually know they visited. Now, if you do, you probably have software to help with this. Software is the best way to do this. That's why Latchel is built on top of a software platform. Software alone probably can't solve this for you, though. You need more than just software. You need to have your folks there watching, tracking, making sure they're on top of it. That's why Latchel combines people with software. And then maybe you find out the tenant wasn't even home. 
So no, the job didn't even get done. Vendors showed up. You didn't even have visibility when the appointment was. They show up. The tenant wasn't home. Now they're telling you, oh, I'm going to charge you a visit fee. And you're like, I don't even know if you showed up or not. because I have no tracking for it. This wasn't trans, not a transparent process at all. You're also thinking, okay, probably no reminders were sent because I don't even know when the appointment was. And of course, you repeat those processes. Finally, you get them to meet. The vendor gets in the home. And unfortunately, the vendor needs parts. Job didn't even get done. All right, so let's start over. We'll repeat those processes. So we're now step 22. Let's say the job's finally done. Okay, thank God. What's next? Well, we need to get the invoice now. And maybe the vendor drags their feet. And what's your process for getting that invoice when they're dragging their feet? Or do you wait for the vendor to send it 60 days later and now the owner's like, why wasn't I told about this 60 days ago? I see that far too often. And this is why like tracking software is so important. Workflow automation software is so important. Amazon didn't get where they are just by people alone. They did it by using software, tracking everything down to the nitty gritty, and then having people filling in when that software failed because software inevitably fails supply chain management and maintenance workflow management, they're exception scenarios, right? More often than not, these things don't follow a happy path. Things go wrong and you need folks there managing it for you. Let's say you get the invoice though. Look at that beautiful invoice, right? Something you'd be proud to give to your property owner. Of course not. So now the owner gets mad if they got that invoice. Hopefully you caught that though and didn't send that to the owner, but now you're in like a battle with the vendor to get a better invoice. So you can't set SLAs on that process. That process is not trackable. It's all over the place. There's too much error that can happen throughout. Right? Your process needs to be consistent, repeatable, and measurable. Otherwise, your SLAs are going to be useless. So the first step to this is how do we build a consistent, repeatable, measurable process? So I'm going to give you like a few core steps that uh, Latchel uses. You can replicate these. You don't need Latchel to do this. It's probably easier if you use Latchel, but you don't need to use Latchel. So let's go through them. When you receive the request, you need to acknowledge it and set the expectation. That's process one. Now you, you track when that was received because tracking when you got the request is important for later steps. When you uh, receive the request, you should then collect the availability of the resident. You kind of need to, right? You need to know their availability so that you have a better process for working with that vendor. Otherwise, you're completely dependent on your vendor to do the scheduling, and you've suddenly lost control. Unless you plan on following the process that I just showed you, which you don't want to do, right? So you collect that resident's availability. You've acknowledged that request. Next up, you can go to that vendor and say, here's, here's the availability. Pick the time that works for you. And you're going to get things scheduled faster and more trackable. So the way Latchel's platform works is the scheduling happens on our platform. Your resident puts in their availability. That sends to the vendor. They just tap the time or text back the time that works for them. That gets locked in. Now we know when the appointment is. Now you don't need to use software like Latchel to do this. You can do it manually. It's just a lot more work. Or maybe you build your own mechanisms to, to track that. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, at the end of the appointment time now, well, actually, sorry, I'm skipping a step. Uh, because you've tracked the appointment time, you now need to ensure that you don't have that problem we saw earlier where the tenant no-shows or the vendor no-shows. 
So you do appointment uh, reminders. Generally, what's best practice is to do a 24-hour reminder than a same day. That's what we do. You can kind of play with that process. Um, but you got to remind people, otherwise they forget, right? So then at the end of that time window, you follow up. So there's a few things you've been able to track now. You know when you got the request. You know when that work date was scheduled. So you already have an SLA you can set. Within three days, let's say, of getting your request, you'll have a confirmed service appointment. Maybe that becomes your SLA. Maybe your SLA becomes within two days, you'll have a confirmed appointment. Now, you probably don't want to say within a day. That's not going to be realistic. You're going to miss that too often. You might miss that 25% of the time because your vendors are busy. You can't get them booked. So you need to be realistic with this stuff. Our process is generally in the first day, we'll reach out to your highest priority you know, vendor for that, that issue type. If we don't get them confirmed within a day, we go to the next. And then if we don't get them confirmed, we go to the next. You don't have to follow that process. Yours can be different, but you need to give folks time, right? Otherwise, you might burn out your vendors. You definitely don't want to hit them all up at once. Have one confirm it. You lock them in. And then the other two are like, oh, yeah, I'll take the job. And you have to say, oh, you know, too slow. Because then they don't feel cared about, right? So you got to kind of be careful about how you set that up. You want to be cognizant of each, each person involved. And then, of course, last step, you've confirmed that the job got done. You don't want to get that invoice and pay it. And this is a service level you might want to set with your vendors. When are you going to pay that invoice? Because that's actually going to be important to keeping your vendors loyal to you, wanting to work for you. If you take two months to pay a vendor, I promise you they're not going to work for you. Even doing like a net 30 will turn some people off. That's why Latchel pays out within 72 hours. Now, you don't have to do 72 hours. I'm not saying 72 hours is the best. That's just what we've decided because we saw we're able to get better vendor talent when we pay them that quickly. But you, you, can, you can set a different timeline. You could say, you know, net 14. Maybe you can get away with net 30. Like, you know, tons of vendors are going to be cool with that, but then stick to it. Okay. Last piece of this is you want to collect feedback, right? We talked about the MPS score. We talked about the reviews. Um, best place to collect feedback is at the key points in your process when you've just done something for someone. Uh, so for residents, the time we go to collect feedback is when they say, we get a double confirmation. We have the vendor confirm that the job got done, but we also ask the resident. And whenever the resident says, yeah, job got done, we say, great, we would love for you to give us a review on the experience. That's where we average 4.7 out of 5 stars. So you've just completed that thing for them. You're most likely to get that positive review at that point. You know, they leave 5 stars, they write a comment. In Latchel's system, that's when we say, hey, we'd love if you could post this to uh, you know, your property manager's online profile. Click here, and they can click that, post it. You, there's a ton of platforms, though, you can use to do this, so it doesn't have to be Latchel. I already said this. There, there's like a million and one different review platforms you can use. Um, but find one, because this is how you build a positive online reputation. The other important thing about reviews, and it's the thing no one really thinks about, Amazing customer service isn't just about doing everything right. It's about what you do when things go wrong. The story I gave at the beginning of this on Amazon, when you know that person, the tracking order said, hey, the thing got delivered, but, but I never received it. I'm not just going to go smash Amazon online for that, right? I'm going to follow up. And that's what I did. I called. I said, hey, this didn't, didn't show up. I'm still charged for it. But I'm going to follow up with a five-star review when the response is, we're going to get you refunded immediately. 
even though the tracking number said the thing got delivered, right? They showed they trusted me and they earned my trust. And you can do these things too. So the way we do it is whenever we get less than a five-star review, that actually pings a task for our team to read what that review was. So anything less than five stars, we read what happened. And in some cases, we're just getting extra contextual information. In other cases, though, the tenant will tell us what went wrong, and it gives us the opportunity to go to the tenant, apologize. And again, this, this stuff isn't posted online. This is just internal. So you can do the same thing. You collect the review. You only ask them to post it online if it's positive. If it's anything less than five stars, you show that to your team or you look at it yourself. And you're going to learn so much about where your processes are failing or where you need to improve or where the opportunities are. And so that's how you know we're we're using those to continuously improve. And when you do this, you're going to attract great clients, right? You want to design your SLAs and your processes kind of around the types of clients you want to serve, um, because I promise you, the processes you set up and the SLAs that you make public are going to filter the types of clients coming to you. And I'm going to show you a great example of where this can go wrong. I see it go wrong most of the time with vendor pricing. When you go out and part of your SLA is promising, we're going to save you money with really cheap maintenance prices for a couple reasons. Sometimes I've even seen that the metric as 20% under market. But the question becomes, well, who are you attracting? You're going to be attracting price-sensitive customers, right? And those are inevitably going to lead to low profit margins for you. The reason this is a bad SLA, while it is a metric, I can track if my rates are 20% under market. It's a bad metric because one, it's not the most important thing for delivering high NOI. If I have to keep resending people that are 20% under market, you're losing a lot more money. You know how much better promise would be, you know, I'm going to increase your net operating income whatever you're currently doing, maybe you need to review what they're doing and then you can promise I'm going to increase your net operating income, right? Maybe you can promise something a little bit more loose in general, like at the end of the year, your maintenance costs will be whatever, 10% less than the previous year. And maybe you can do that. But saying every job we're going to get 20% under market rate, what happens when you need to get someone out for an emergency yeah, you, you just ruined, you just went way over that SLA. Now your, your property owner's pissed, right? So you got to think about who are you actually attracting with these service levels? Um, all right. So I'm going to uh, segue here and um, I'm going to be a little bit selfish. I'm going to start talking about Latchel a lot. And I'm going to talk about how Latchel can help you achieve some of this. So, what does Latchel promise to our customers? I want to start there and I'm going to end there too. I'm going to talk about what does Latchel promise? All of the SLAs are built toward these promises. So we're working backwards, right? Latchel is working backwards from me thinking, what, do, what does a property manager want most from a, a service like Latchel? And this is where we come up with our promises. And then we work backwards for the SLAs. But let, let, let's start here because this is where you need to start. What do my property owners want? What do I need to promise them? What do I need to promise my residents? So for Latchel, what we promise to property managers that partner with us, first is increased revenues. 
And now this changes based on the type of service they want. But most of our customers, what we're promising is $4 per door every month in increased revenues within a year. So let's look at this as an SLA, right? Because that's the service level expectation that we want to deliver. $4 per door in increased revenues within a year. It's time bound. We've promised that within a year, that's what we're going to be driving. And it's a very easy metric to measure. Did you actually increase $4 per month in increased revenues in the year? Okay, that's promise one. Promise two is increase five-star reviews. And we do this by tracking, are we averaging 4.7 out of five stars in resident reviews within 90 days of you starting Latchel? All right, that's our next promise. Now we time bound it. The reason we say within 90 days is it does take time to build this up. It takes time to implement. It takes time to ramp in. Right? There's no silver bullet. And even when you work with a property owner, you don't want to pretend to be a silver bullet. It doesn't exist. Everything takes work to get going. Right? We promise increased five-star reviews. We also promise increased resident retention. And the metric we track is a 40% improvement in retention. Now, sometimes we have to customize this. And so every customer that comes in, we build custom success criteria for them. So that at a you know, general level, this is what we're starting with. But if we get a customer with 99% retention, obviously, like we can't promise this. So we, we've got to customize these things when we're you know, working with a customer. But you can do the exact same thing for your property owners, right? This doesn't have to be one size fits all. You can actually customize your SLAs and use a different metric for each one that comes in. Now, with tenants, you, you want it to be consistent, obviously. But I'm saying, like, with property owners, when you look at, like, their portfolios and the different ways they're set up, there are going to be certain things you need to adjust, and that's okay. And the last one we promise is improved maintenance efficiency. And this one can kind of be all over the place, but at a high level, we promise less time spent on maintenance within 90 days of starting our services. Um, our goal is to be an engine that helps property managers scale and increase profitability. That means reducing the cost and time on maintenance so they can focus on growth activity. It also means driving an increase in revenue and that's why we profit share. That's why we're able to get our partners $4 per door in extra revenue within a year. So I hope this was helpful. Um, it is the end of our presentation. Uh, you probably have a ton of questions. Let's, I'll stay on actually. And if you do have questions, feel free to pipe them in. Otherwise, anyone that's listening to this after the presentation, I want to ask, um, ask you to send us feedback on this. If there are certain things that you feel like were helpful or you felt like we spent too long talking about certain things, let us know. Send us an email. You can connect with us on Facebook. The second thing I want to ask is if you believe Latchell's services and those promises we made can help your business, connect with us. You can connect with us on Facebook. You can also go to latchell.com and book a time to talk to uh, our team here. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review too if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchell.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together, maybe not, but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchell.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. 
Thanks, everyone. See you back next week.